Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From What Goes On Media, this is Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Alice Fern, who's currently playing Elphaba in the West End production of Wicked. Alice joined the show as Standby Elphaba in the 10th anniversary cast in 2016. She's just started her second year playing the role full-time. I went to meet her at the Apollo Victoria Theatre last week on the last day of the heatwave. Ten years ago, if you told me I'd be going through that stage door and into that dressing room, I probably would have screamed in your face. Thankfully, 27-year-old me has calmed down just a little bit. You might know that this theatre used to be a cinema, so all the dressing rooms and backstage areas are up at the sides of the building, so they're quite narrow, so it can be quite confusing to find your way around. Apparently, when Nigel Planer was playing the wizard in the original cast, he put some yellow bricks on the route to his dressing room so his guests could find their way to him. No sign of them now, though. I looked. On the day we did the interview, Alice's dressing room was sweltering. She had about five fans on and a couple of aircon units. It was so hot. So you might be able to hear a tiny bit of a hum in the background to the interview. It was that or let us all melt. Here's our conversation. Alice Fern, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here in your boiling dressing room. Thanks for, um, you know, wanting to listen to me talk. Oh, that's fine. (laughs) First of all, how are you coping with this heat? Well, it's just best not to talk about it. It's best to ignore it. (laughs) To be honest, I like everywhere. You can't get away from it. That's the problem with this. It's like, you know, in my living room at home, it's like a thousand degrees. I actually got this thermometer outside in my garden and my garden is particularly sort of heat central. It, It really closes it in. But it said 48 the other day, and I just thought, this is not, it's not, it's not worth it. <laughs> it's just what it is, you know, it, it, we like challenges, and this, this is mine, doing it in a, in a heatwave. But it's everywhere, as you, as you were saying, you know, coming in, it's on the central line, can't get away from it. No. It, well, so, so it's just everywhere. Obviously, I love the summer. If it could just be five degrees cooler, I think we'd all appreciate it. Is it making our job harder? Oh, it can do, I think, it, as I say, it's like a challenge, isn't it? It's like you want to just sort of... See if you can get through it. But, uh, but yeah, eight shows, shows in it can definitely... As I was saying, though, I hope, all you do is hope you lose weight. Nothing. Not, not lost a pound. Yet. Keyword yet. Let's say yet, although it has been about six weeks this heat wave, hasn't it? So, <laughs> so if it hasn't happened now, I'm a little bit worried. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be tricky, but, uh, but as I say, it's, you know, it's, these are the, uh, the challenges with the job that, uh, that I take and I, uh, I try and get through as best I can. Well, you've just gone into your second year as Alphabet. Yes. Um, is that third year with the show? Third year with the show, because the first year I was here, I did uh, standby in the 10th anniversary year. Um, and then, yeah, so it's my second year, just going into my second year, um, playing it full time. How do you maintain eight shows a week for two, three years? Um, it's, a, it's an unknown thing when you start it, because you don't know how you're going to cope with it, because it is quite, it's obviously you know it's a massive role and you know it's a massive sing. Um, and physically you can see it's really demanding. So you don't know how you're going to react and you don't know how your voice is going to react. Um, but I think luckily for me, I, I, the, the, it sits in my voice quite well. You know when you're not stretching for something or shouting for something? I'm, I'm not particularly doing that. Um, which therefore, as you start doing it and you start going through and doing four or five shows, it actually builds up. And over the couple of first weeks, I noticed that if anything, it got easier. 
as opposed to it got harder to sing and and then same as your body your body gets used to running around and doing that lift and doing blah, 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 and um running substage and running to get your next entrance and getting your breath together to go on and do that song your body gets used to that routine as well and gets stronger um as i say not everyone is the same but luckily for me i uh, started off and I could feel that it was in my body and I just had to work through that initial it's a bit like when you start running you know the first time you do a 5k it feels like you're going to die but um, after a couple of attempts at a 5k it starts to get easier and that's exactly what this was for me luckily and um, and if anything my voice is stronger and I'll go on holiday for say a week and I'll come back and my voice will have really gone to sleep and coming back is hard and yet by the end of that week I've come back I'm back to it absolutely fine so actually just the the constant repetitiveness on it it's muscle at the end of the day and I'm just training a muscle to do what I want it to do and um so I've been yeah I've been I've been lucky I've trained my body and my voice up to um to doing eight shows it is hard and obviously you have the days when you're like this isn't going to happen today um and sometimes there isn't even um necessarily a a really good reason you know like we have to have injuries like our back we get bad backs and I get a bad neck and um but sometimes there just isn't that energy in you to do that show that day um, you know how much it takes because you do it eight times a week. And sometimes, you know, you wake up in that morning and you just know that either that voice isn't going to come out like you want it to or that you haven't actually got an alpha in you that night. Um, and that is absolutely something that, you know, uh, can happen and, and does happen. But um, the majority of the time, yeah, you work your way into it and, and, you, and it becomes just what you do. Tell me about the first time you saw the show. It was quite long into the run. I think it was about year, I want to say year five, actually, and I went, I came to see a friend of mine who I trained in um, drama school with, Sarah Earnshaw, who was stand by Glinda and was in the original cast and she um, did it for quite some years. And um, I came to see her and I think it was because also at the same time I was up for it for the first time as well. Um, and so I wanted to see what the show was about um, and if it was something that I wanted to do. And of course you come and see it and the stars align and you go, if I don't do this show my life my career is pointless you know it's one of those but it's like when I used to sit when I saw Les Mis when I was like a 10 year old I went I have to do that show one day in my life um and it changes you and 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 yeah come to see Wicked was I sat there and as well as admiring my friend and how wonderful she was as Glinda you see a fantastic show you see something that is visually just perfection really um musically just breathtaking and I lo- I think what the one of the most things I remembered is how much I loved the story and I didn't know it until I hadn't read the book before I saw the musical and um I just went that's that's brilliant how you've how that man how Gregory Maguire created that world and that backstory for these two people that you just just I don't have the imagination like that um and so it, it just amazed me I just adored that story and so yeah, and I sat there and I went, that's something I've got to do um, one day um, if they give me the chance. Uh, so, yeah, it was. I watched it with, um, with awe, I think, like most people do. So you said you were up for it at that time when you first saw it. Yeah. What is it like to audition for Wicked? Um, well, back then I was up for um, cover Elphaba and cover Nessa, actually, back in the day. Um, but I can't dance, so there's a, a number of tracks in this show that was, ones that sort of a dance tracks, some that are dance and singing tracks and some that are sort of more the singing tracks. And um, and that was where I definitely went into because I've got no ability to dance whatsoever. Elphaba's dance actually is basically me trying really hard <laughs> uh, when you go and see the show. Um, it can be quite gruelling because, especially if you're up for an Elphaba, because they, 
do to an extent test your voice out and, and because of the quality of, of the sound and, and the songs that uh, are so incredibly high um, they don't just get you to sing it once you know they get you to sing it four or five times just to see how your voice copes with singing that four or five times off the trot so you know it, 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 they're quite grueling and they can be quite um, intense um, I am a bit of a freak when it comes to um, the world of um, musical theatre though because I love auditioning I really enjoy it um, I like the challenge I like to get direction and see if I can change it in that moment and all that. So um, coming to uh, coming to these auditions um, many, many years ago now, um, I actually enjoyed, because they can be quite specific in those auditions as well, and I quite enjoy that. You want it to be exactly like that, fine, and then that's my challenge to make it exactly like that. So as I say, I really enjoyed them. I mean, over the years they've got easier, and, and it's become something that I don't even have to, like, you know, say the fourth time I came, I went to audition for it, it was like, you know, you're back in for Wicked. I was just like, I'm not even going to rehearse it because that wizard and I is definitely in my brain now, you know. So it's just that I had to just sort of re, um, revisit them in the in the room. But uh, I find them really exciting. I had to do one movement call, I think, really early on. I remember having swine flu for it. Oh, my God. Do you remember swine flu? I do. Yeah, I, I was in a production at The Young Vic, um, and you get your gun. And I'd, I tried to do the show the night before, and um, and I'd, I'd said I'm really not very well, and I, I couldn't really stand. So I then got me a taxi home. But I had this audition next morning at ten thirty. This movement call for Wicked. Oh my God. First or second time, maybe I was up for it. Can't remember now. But I went into the audition, and I had warned my agent. My agent had called the casting director, Pippa, and had said, "Alice is quite unwell. We'll we'll make sure we're easy on her. We'll make sure that everyone knows." Um, but I next n- near enough collapsed after doing one particular move. Oh I just sat on the floor, like just without words, just just sat down. Pippa came over and said, "I think you need to go home, don't you?" Um, and that was the time I didn't get alpha. Um, yeah, I got a taxi home, and I ended up going to the doctor's that afternoon. He just went swine flu, and I did make sure that everyone knew that I had auditioned. I had tried to audition for Wicked with swine flu. Goodness. I know. Well. You, well, you, you know, if, you've got to have these stories for the autobiography, as absolutely. I say. You know, not lost an ounce, as we not say. lost an ounce, <laughs> which is now I think my my new autobiography title. Um, so when you did get cast, you came in as the standby. Yeah. What is life like as standby alphabet? God, it's brilliant. It really is a good job. If you like that kind of thing, I think it can be um, a little bit isolating and therefore also daunting because you're not going on every single night. And so when you do go on, it's, you're going from zero to a thousand, you know what I mean, straight away. And that can be quite a lot um, and quite difficult to deal with. Um, and I can completely understand when people find that too hard and it's not their bag. They'd rather be on stage every night and cover it almost in a way or just be doing it every single show. So uh, for me, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, my, my tax was done really early because you sit in that dressing room, you've got stuff to do, I've got tax to do. Um, you know, I, I did arts and crafts with uh, my fellow standby, Karina. Um, so I had, a, I had a lovely time. I, I, and when you do get to go on, you get to go on and play, um, I think, one of the best female parts ever written for musical theatre. So um, I, I have to say that year was a, was a pretty good year. And I mean, I was learning off the best, you know, Rachel and Villamine. So I only have excellent memories of that year. And at what point did you find out you were going to take over? So say, I think we started in August, July, August. And I don't, th- yeah, actually it was the week of dreams, wasn't it? So I, you start auditioning about this, I auditioned about March, April. Um, and I'd said, you know, I want to get the part. I want to be seen for the part. I want to be seen as this lead. And I think it got to about um, April that I had my sort of final. You have, to do, you have to go back and sort of still do a final, even though you're in the show. Um, because it's got to be sent, you've got to be filmed and sent to the Americans um, who um, have the final say. 
And so I did my video. I actually didn't think I did very well, if I'm honest, in that audition. I remember coming out and calling my boyfriend, Gavin, and just going, um, I've let myself down there. And then I was on holiday in Santorini about two and a half weeks later. On the Tuesday night, Gavin asked me to marry him. And Aww. on the Wednesday morning, my agent called me and said, sorry, I'm interrupting your holiday, but you've just got Elfie on the Western stage. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so it was a pretty good week. That is a pretty um, good that week. Was that, yeah, pretty good week. And I was in Santorini to top it all off. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, we, um, we definitely celebrated um, hard and fast with that one. Yeah, so it's a couple, we had to wait a couple of weeks, but, yeah, it was pretty, pretty damn good, yeah. And while you were standby, did you ever have to go on mid-show? Was there ever that last I never called? did. They call it a witch switch. Witch switch. I like <laughs> yeah. it. I never did. I think, I'll have to ask my dresser, but I think... I'm the only person that hasn't ever done a witch switch as did, a standby. Did you kind of want to? No. <laughs> <laughs> because once, once the show's up and running, I'm making a cup of tea and I'm putting on Netflix. So, um, no, I, I, I suppose it would have been fun. It would have been fun to sort of, gosh, go from zero to 100 within about five minutes. But no, I, I, I'm quite pleased I didn't have to, to have that stress. Um, there has been one. I, I have done one to my standby. <laughs> Laura, this year, God love her. I always said to her, I said, I'm never going to let you, I'm never going to let that do because you don't want to go through that. And then, of course, I sang Wizard of Night one night on a throat infection and my glands basically blew open my mouth and I thought, that's it, I can't sing another note. Um, were you so worried before off. you got, like, were you worried it's, before I'm the one of those per- I'm, I'm one of those people that don't worry, which I think helps, actually, as an alphabet. I don't tend to worry too much. If I have to call in, I call in sick. You know what I mean? I don't worry about being sick. It's, it happens, your voice goes your back hurts, whatever. But in terms of if I'm not feeling up for it, one of my favourites, well, I've got two favourite sayings here. It's the company manager, Michael, always laughs at it. Well, I, I always go, well, I'm here now, which is sort of, you know, I'm here and I'm green, so I'm, I'll do it. Do you might know what as mean? well. It's fine. I might as well. Um, instead of causing a ruckus and, you know, having wigs, having to do new wigs and makeup suddenly, you know, going into a tears. I was like, nah, I'm here. I'll do it. Don't worry about it. And then my other favourite is I've done it worse. Um, so I had this particular throat infection and I was like sort of standing there and I, I'd sung it in the dressing room just a couple of notes in the dressing room and gone, what is there? Definitely done it worse um, but the problem is you go out there and, and sometimes when you've, got, when you've got an illness like that which was obviously a, a throat infection the very beginnings of a throat infection and you go and sing a five minute song on the scale of, sort of Wizard and I which is quite early on in the show and just you know the, sadly the throat just uh, the glands just decided this they is, weren't playing this is, ball this is the end of it for you you've got to stop now um uh, so you know you've got to do what you've got to do and you've what got do to you do off. what do you do in that moment well it's that that's the best moment to decide after wisdom and i because there's a gap before you sing your next song of about 20 minutes 20 25 minutes maybe um you're on stage acting and doing scenes but you've not got a song that you only have to go and belt out so the problem is after wisdom and i there's another 10 minutes of you where you don't leave the stage. So in those 10 minutes, because I'm standing there on stage going, I know that I can't carry on, but no one else does. So in my head, I'm sort of thinking, oh God, this, I'm going to cause such a problem in about three minutes. But I just, you know, you just go off and you go straight away. I'm so sorry, I have to call it now. That I'll happily continue until we can get Laura on so the show doesn't have to stop. But I think if you're, if you're really calm and collected in that and, and know when you can and when you can't do it, that helps you as well. And it, it, it means you don't go through a show traumatised, vocal cords, you know, absolutely strained, throat on fire. Um, you know, it means that you, you're making the right decisions and you're making them in a calm, collective way. 
um, it happens and you have to sort of just cope with that. But yeah, I did. I kept saying, oh, sorry, Laura, I promised you. Um, but suddenly, it's only happened once. So let's touch wood, it doesn't have to happen again. I interviewed Emma Hatton for this podcast. Did you? And she told me um, it only happened to her once. She had to go on uh, mid show for when she was When she was standby, yeah. Um, and she told one of my favourite stories. She said, yeah, I, uh, I had to go and sing Defying Gravity. I just seen a pot noodle. Oh, gosh, that's what? awful. It was just such that's a great line. Worse. Yeah, just eating a pot noodle to find gravity. <laughs> yeah, there's no good in that. When you got Alpha Bear and you knew you were coming in and you were rehearsing it, how much freedom are you given to put your own spin on it musically and dramatically, or is it, is it quite rigid? There is, there is a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of lines you have to sort of follow and you have to make sure you're hitting certain... There's, there's pictures on the stage that, you know, are there and set and you have to create those pictures and make sure you stand by those pictures. There's also lighting that's been going for... 10, 11 years that I can't now move. You know what I mean? So you have to hit certain marks for those lights to be. But in terms of a characterization, I've said this quite a few times actually when I've asked this question, but I've been an understudy for 12, 13 years of my career. And, um, and when you're an understudy, you have to sort of follow the footsteps of the person that is playing that role. So whatever is happening with that um, part, you sort of have to follow the footsteps of. But how I've always gone about it, follow the footsteps, but it doesn't mean you have to follow the characterization. And go to the script, read the script, and what do you find funny about that line? And what do you find she's about or, you know, your part's about? And that's what I did with Elfborough. You know, loads of people have played it before I have, but every time that I, people come and see it that have seen it many years before always say to me, it's a completely different characterization. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I don't really understand what I'm doing differently. All I've done is gone to the script and gone, so why is she saying that, like, and why is she reacting like that? Okay, so she must, I would react like that because of that. And so you, you work it out from yourself and then you come up with your characterization of it. Um, so I, I don't necessarily see it as different. I just, I, I just see it's my interpretation of what was originally written down in that script. Um, and, you know, people always have their favourites of that. But as, to me, as long as you're playing the truth of it and, you, and you're getting her story across, then, um, then, you're, then you're doing something right. Do you have a favourite alphabet? Um, I really enjoyed Rachel Tucker. Um, I think she, there's a similarity with how we a, uh, attacked her, attacked Elphaba. As, <laughs> as it were. As it were. Yeah, as it were. Um, she, she, you know, very went very forward and very full throttle, which um, I really enjoyed. There was a, a, a much rougher sort of Elphaba than maybe what I do, but I enjoyed that sort of full throttle sort of attitude that Rachel had. And that just utter dedication to... How, how important she was. You know, I tried to follow in her footsteps a little bit. I've not seen that many to be able to judge it. You know, I've not seen... I never saw Adina bark clips on, you know, from the Tonys and what have you. Uh, so I've only ever seen a couple of people here, really. So I wouldn't know, for, other than the vocal, maybe, that I could pick a favourite. But, yeah, I suppose from the ones I've seen, I, yeah, Rachel was pretty up there. Um, you like to change it up vocally a little bit. How do you come up with your riffs? I don't really... Do they just it's happen? It's not. They just happen. Yeah, I, I just take a moment. So it's, if it's in the moment, it's, I feel it's worthy, then I'll do it. Um, I shouldn't, probably. But you know what I mean? But the, you let the part get away with you and you let the part... I let emotions control what I do, if that means I shout or if that means I do something else. You know what I mean? If I, then that's what happens. And so um, if something comes out, then it's because of, it's from, from something that I'm feeling at that particular moment. Is there a part of the show that you look forward to every night that you sort of revel in that you're like, yes, I can really attack this? Or yeah, oh, there's quite a few actually. Obviously, you really enjoy Defying Gravity, um, and it's also because it's the end of that one. You know, you're 
about to go and have a lovely five minute break. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the you know yeah, define gravity. I like the entire scene as well. I love the scene pretty into it with Glinda. I like the Madame Morrible speech. What a great speech that is. You know, I enjoy how that all it's a it's a perfectly worked scene that so to play it as well is really satisfying as well as then you jump into one of the best songs ever you know um so i particularly enjoyed that um i really i really love no good deed you know play the part right and that is the climax to who she is as a as a witch as it were and um it's finally the moment that everything is laid bare and that is incredibly satisfying to play because a lot of the time during the show you are, as a character, held back for whatever reason, you know, because um, you think it's right or because you, you know. And that's the moment she just goes, you know, sod it. You know, I'm going, you know, this is it, this is me. And that's a really satisfying to play. Um, I also absolutely adore For Good and I adore it because Sophie's Glinda is just perfection and she cries pretty much every night and it's just so lovely. We just really, we really enjoy that goodbye as it were each night it's so beautiful what an absolutely beautiful song and so simple and it's, and it's also nice because we're not having to I'm not having to scream and, and belt really high anymore and we're both just there and it's so simple and it, it's staging simple and it's just two people just saying how much they you know love each other and saying and saying goodbye to it. I just think it's what a lovely moment to be able to play Let's go back to Defying Gravity Yeah What is it like when you're going up there when you're flying what's going through your mind? weird because you don't really feel like it's that high because everything is so black on the stage it's also smooth as silk you don't really realize it because the audience that you go up the same level to about the dress circle um so everyone just sort of feels like still in your same wavelength so it's amazing i i I don't have also don't have a problem with heights thank goodness um which uh which really helps but um you don't ever want to sort of underplay it really and under appreciate the moment because I mean, I, I always remember Sophie not long ago, we, we both saw this little girl um, about two rows back who just happened to be in a hint of light, but her face, she was must have been about seven, she was tiny, and her face, she just grabbed her mum's arm and burst into tears as soon as I started to fly. Oh. <laughs> and it just was, just both of us just went, that's too much, that's just, that's broken us because it's... Because that's what you don't realise. When you do it every night, you don't realise it's that. But those moments remind you that it's that. You know, it is that impressive. It's that lovely. It's that... It, there's, it's a moment... It's a perfect moment, both visually and dramatically. You know, the music is, is built so well to that moment. The scene has built it to that moment. And then she takes off and she flies. I mean, thanks very much. You know what I mean? She'll just finish the show there. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. What a great way to end that. The, the first time you did it, were you like, yes, I've arrived? Was there well, The a... first time I did it, can't even tell you what it felt like. I, it was, I, I'm numb. I'm numb to that. It was that show, because it was the day after the 10th anniversary. I remember it like yesterday. Day after the 10th anniversary party. So we'd had this big do the night before. And I went on for the second show that day and I found out at about, sort of like, I don't know, four o'clock, something like that, probably was four. It was the first time I was going on and I just, I went, right, in moments like this, because it's, it's massive, it's a massive role and you don't stop. So for me, I just went to keep calm, carry on, got to get from A, which is the beginning of the show, to B, which is the bows. Okay, so just go from there and get to B and then you'll live. And I couldn't tell you a single thing about what that first show was. I haven't got a memory of it. I just had to, I knew I just had to get through it. That's one of those moments because it's too big. If you start like going, oh my God, here's the moment, here's that moment, it's Defying Gravity. 
that's the moment that you will screw up to high gravity. So it's best just to play the part and get to the end. And then a couple of weeks later, that's when I started to go, oh my God, I'm about to do high gravity. You know what I mean? Then you yeah, can start yeah. getting excited about it. But, you know, you've got to keep a cool head sometimes. <laughs> that, that day was one of them. When you saw Les Mis when you were 10, that was mm. when you were like, I want to do that show. Yeah. Where Did you grow up around London? Were you no, sort of I was going in Cumbria. to Cumbria? Cumbria, okay. Yeah, so you were like as far removed as you can be. Oh, there was nothing. What got you into theatre then? I was, I was just, I was a musician really. And they'd played piano and stuff like that. And I was doing my grades and I could sing a bit, but I didn't have any singing lessons. And I think it was the... I do think it was the tenth. Like my mum and dad did want like musicals, and they would take me to see a couple of bits and pieces here and there. But I do think it was the tenth anniversary. I remember the tenth, and I remember watching it, and my mum being annoyed because I was going, "Oh, that's Michael Ball," and I could name the people on it. Oh, that's Ruthie Henshaw, and um, and then when we were going to have to go and see it, then aren't we? You know, and she was just like, "Shut up," you know, and um, and I just remember that, and just going, "I'd love to do that," and I could totally do that. And then I would, I mean, you know, in many ways, watching those shows they taught me to sing because I absolutely copied Leia Salonga singing on my own for about five years after that, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I think it probably was, it was moments like that. And, and my mum and dad taking me to see lots of things and they did enjoy it as well. So, um, but my school wasn't particularly theatrical either. It was very sport based. And I mean, I'm dreadful and hate sport. So it, I was not useful in that school whatsoever. So I was the only person that ever did anything like, you know, I was on the debate team and things like that. And, um, I would sing at assembly sometimes just because no one else was willing to do anything like that. So tiny little things like that got me into the business, not anything big. So you never, because obviously Cumbria is so the opposite of London. Did, yeah. you, did you ever feel... Like a good five and a half hour drive away. Yeah. Was, was that not hard for you sort of when you got, when you developed your interest in it? Did you not feel... Um, no, because back, back in the, back in the day, I'm feeling like I'm really old, but, um, you know, 20 years ago, musical theatre wasn't that big as it is now anyway you know um there wasn't as many drama schools and there wasn't so it, it and in many ways you think that's even harder to get into but no it isn't if you've got if, if you're actually talented in it you're probably going to get quite far because there wasn't that many people around at that point um doing it and doing it for real you know was it difficult to get into uh, to be honest I fell into it and I've got to be honest about that I I loved it but it was never going to be a career I was a musician and I was going to do something to do with music at college and I dislocated my thumb, actually, at a, on a dry ski slope. A very long story, um, uh, which I won't go into now. But I dislocated my thumb so badly that I couldn't... I was going to have to take a gap year to do my... Um, to get into a music college. And the only other thing I'd ever done, I never liked, is drama. I sort of said to mum, should we just... Shall I see? I applied for two drama schools, managed to get an audition, which I, was, which I thought was amazing. Of course, they gave auditions to anyone that applied. Um, little did I know. Uh, we drove down to London a good six hours, um, I spent a whole day auditioning, got into one of them, and that was it. And then, of course, when that moment happened, I got the audition, and I, I got through the audition, I got the offer, then it was like, oh, well, that's it, I'm doing that. Because I didn't think that was possible. So it was sort of, I fell into it accidentally, all thanks to a dry ski slope. Amazing. There we go. But it determined it for you. Basically, yeah. That was the turning point of, of me going, well, I'll maybe try a drama school then. Um, because now I've got a gap here you know, which I can't help um, because I can't play piano for six months. So it, suddenly that, that sent me down a completely different path. So, so although I hate sports, I have it a lot uh, to thank it a lot, especially <laughs> skiing. <laughs> you've talked recently about understudies being credited more. Yeah. You said you've understudied a lot. That's obviously something that you feel very strongly yes. about. You know, understudies in shows 
Undecideds and swings, they're sort of the same sort of kettle of fish, really. Uh, if you don't know what a swing is, swings are the people that cover the ensemble tracks and can cover principal parts, but they majoritatively of the time cover all the ensemble tracks. And um, there's been so many times that, as an understudy, I've stepped in and the audience is let down because the person's not there. You know, Amanda Holden, for one, was a, was a, a cracking one, a cracking example, because Shrek was absolutely... 50%, 70% sold on Amanda Holden being in it as Princess Fiona. Now, she's suddenly not in the show, and they say that Amanda Holden's not in. You definitely get a a, a general, oh, feel from the audience. And Was that hard for you? I don't mind it because I'm the kind of person that goes, all right, you're disappointed, I'm going to make you regret that. So I'm going to go out there and absolutely nail this part. You're going to laugh, probably cry, and then stand up at the end. That's my, uh, that gives me a drive to do it even better than I was going to in the first place. So I don't mind that. Um, but yeah, that is hard. Of course it is. And if, if you're not someone that's like that, then it's going to get to you. And I think that's incredibly unfair because sometimes, and this is another thing I mean, is that people will have watched me years gone by, you know, when I did Les Mis, understudied, and I understood all these parts, and gone, oh, we saw the understudy tonight. And actually what you were seeing was a future alphabet and you just didn't know it at the time. And actually my part wouldn't have been any, what I did in that show wouldn't have been any less than the person that did it. It could have even been better. You never know that was playing it. Um, and you, just because of the understudy title, it's some, it, there's a sense that it's less than what... Than what there's that negative there's connotation. There's a negative connotation. That there and, be. I don't, and I don't think that's true because as I'm saying, you could be seeing a future alphabet, you just don't know. She's just not there yet or she's just not old enough yet or she's just not experienced enough yet doesn't mean she's any less talented. Um, and I think that that's where I feel it's a shame. And I think that's what I'm trying to break, that mould of don't be sad. You know, if you've, if you've come to see someone specific, there is a disappointment. If I went to see Hello, Dolly and Bette Miller wasn't playing it, I'd be sad. You know what I mean? But I then you get sad. to see Donna Murphy. But then you get to see someone else that's equally brilliant. And you know what? It might still be an absolutely cracking performance. There's nothing taken away from that. Um, so, you know, you've just got to... You know, be disappointed that you're not seeing your idol, of course, but don't let it be at the negative on the understudy because that's that's not necessarily true. If you could change the situation, what would you like to happen? Oh, well, it's hard, isn't it? Because how can I change people's... But in terms of the advertising of it, because, you know, we don't... Well, back to... in the day, back in the day when I was in Les Mis, because I remember it really, actually, all the time, because it was really nice when they made an announcement at the beginning of the show. So turn off your mobile phones was never a massive thing 15 years ago because not many people, <laughs> not everyone had a mobile phone. So, um, but now it's like, turn off your mobile phones and that's the most important thing. And it used to be, turn off your mobile phones and at this performance, the role of, and, it, and I remember one particular time in Les Mis, it was basically, there was, there was hardly anyone there in the principal lineup, and it was all the first covers playing the roles. So, you know, it was just like, it that went on for list. about, it's a long list. Marriott's will be played by Cassette, but be played by... And it just went on for days, and we were killing ourselves, laughing, waiting behind the wings, going, this is hilarious. It's going on for days. But it's just, you know, it's nice because the audience... Because, you know, listen, they don't necessarily see um, the board, and they, or they don't buy a programme. Or yeah, the programme they buy doesn't get, get slipped because maybe it was a late decision that the person wanted. So I just think that that announcement would be nice because it's nice for me not to have to say, oh, P.S., that wasn't me that you just saw, so I don't take the credit. <laughs> um... But also for the person that's coming up through the ranks and has worked really hard and has learnt a show and has gone out there after two months of not being on for the part and just gone and smashed it. Her name's, I don't know, Amy Fisher. You know, that's just something that... That's my first cover, by the way, just in case I'm not plucking a name out of thin air. Um, it's just nice. It would just be nice, I think, um, to appreciate that and to get rid of the stigma of it. But there's a hundred reasons why they don't do that. And I mean, yes, if 
someone else had been in my shoes and they'd announced Amanda Holden is not performing today, the role of Princess Fern, Alice Fern, and everyone basically booed, some people might not have been able to continue doing that show because that would have been too much for them. I just, you know, can take it a different way and use it. But I don't know, it's something, it's something that used to happen that has disappeared that I feel is a shame. But, you know, I don't run a business. <laughs> I just maybe that will change. Maybe it will. I, it would be nice because I think people work hard enough to sort of undeserve the credit where credit's due. Well, I believe it's time for me to let you get green. Really? Gosh, that time already. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's been so fun. Thank you. And we could continue, but... We could continue, but then we might melt, quite True. literally, Literally. in this really boiling dressing room. That's a hazard for you. (laughs) Wicked is booking until May next year in London, and it's on tour in the UK and Ireland until January. I'll be back with another episode next week when we're going backstage with Lucas Rush, who's in the cast of I Wish My Life Were Like a Musical and the upcoming Rock of Ages tour. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mikey Worrell. Thanks for listening. Listener.